I have a couple administrative uh, things for you. I have two things I'm going to be referencing throughout the sermon today. Uh, one is something that hopefully you know about um, already, and that's our Facebook group that's online. So if you're on Facebook, um, we have a private group that we can talk about what's going on in the church. We can share prayer requests. Uh, it's been a nice nice way for us to kind of keep in touch and, and talk throughout the week. I'm going to reference that a little bit occasionally uh, throughout. And today, I'm also using a new piece of technology. We're just trying it out. I don't know how many of you use the Bible app. It's the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, if you do, they have this neat thing. If you open it up and you uh, click on the More button, there's something called YouVersion Events. And um, I have, there's, when you open it up, you, they'll know where you are. You can click on Chapel of the Lake, and it has all my sermon notes in there uh, with, the, with the Bible verses and stuff, and it just goes in order. This morning, I'm going to bounce around to a, a decent amount of scriptures. I'll also be referencing some external links and resources that I was able to embed right in that uh, version of um, Event. So if that's help, helpful for you, whether you've joined us online, uh, you're sitting here, feel free to uh, scroll through your phone throughout the sermon. I will try not to take offense. I am uh, partial to a paper Bible, but um, the, the technology that is available to us is uh, remarkable and helpful. The other thing that I'll mention, if you're not on the version app and you don't uh, find that event, we also have a um, private Facebook group. It's called COTL Hub. It is a way for us to kind of network and connect. Uh, throughout the week is a place where we can encourage one another, share pictures, things that are going on, also pray for one another. Uh, this week I'll be, the resources that I've posted in that version app will also be putting out throughout the week just to kind of give you something to chew on and think through throughout the week. So I hope that that would be a helpful resource to you. We're not committing to doing that necessarily every week, but if it's, if it's helpful for you, I would appreciate some feedback as we experiment with some other things uh, to help help just resource you in God's word. All right. So with that, uh, we are going to uh, be back in our sermon series, uh, Jeremiah chapter 8. I'm going to pick up where I left off a few weeks ago uh, in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 7, we saw Jeremiah giving the sermon on the, on the steps of the temple. And he was pronouncing God's judgment on his own people because of their continued disobedience, their idolatry, uh, and really their arrogance. They had assumed that because the temple was housed on their land, that God would turn a blind eye to their sinfulness, that they would escape their due judgment just because of the physical temple. But what we saw is that their hypocrisy would be the reason, or one of the primary reasons, that Jerusalem would fall, many would be killed, and many more would be led into captivity under Babylon. And so the first three verses of uh, chapter 8 are pretty dire pictures of, of dead people being pulled out of their graves, and it's just a disaster. And so as we get into verse 4 is where we're going to start this morning, we start to answer the question that maybe some of you were wondering, how in the world did God's people get so far away from God? How is it that the people of God are deserving His judgment and such a harsh judgment? 
And if you were wondering that, like me, you're not alone because God was wondering that same thing. He begins in chapter 4 with some, or in verse 4, with some rhetorical questions. So, as, as right before we dive into the text this morning, will you just pray with me? Dear Lord, we pray that uh, your presence would be here among us this morning, that your truth would seep through my words, that it would be about you, your word, that we would take these things to heart, to mind, and that we would find ways to um, encourage and, and transform our lives through this teaching this morning. We pray in your name. So God's wondering, how in the world did his people get so far And so he tells Jeremiah, verse 4, You shall say to them, Jeremiah, thus says the Lord, When men fall, do they not rise again? If one turns away, does he not return? Why then has this people turned away in perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I have paid attention and listened, but they have not spoken rightly. No man relents of his evil, saying, What have I done? Everyone turns to his own course like a horse plunging headlong into battle. Even the stork in the heavens knows her times, and the turtle dove, swallow, and crane keep the time of their coming. But my people know not the rules of the Lord. And so what God is doing here is he's asking some questions about just human nature, and especially those who say and claim to follow God. If someone has slipped... Isn't it natural for them to try and get back up? If someone is going down a path and then all of a sudden they find themselves off that path, lost in the woods, aren't they going to try to find their way back to the right path? This is what God has been expecting His people to do. They have fallen into sin. They have gone off the path of righteousness. And God's saying, the natural thing to do here is to come back to me. Except they haven't. They're holding on, literally clinging to deceit. God's been there. He's been watching. He's been patient. He's been listening. But no one's repenting. No one's coming back to Him. They're all going their own way. He gives the picture of horses charging into battle. And these horses are trained. Once they go, there's no turning back. This is how hard-headed the people of God had become. God points out just how Foolish and even unnatural the people are being. The birds of the air follow God's design and rule. The birds of the air recognize the times and the seasons. The people of God should recognize that they are off the path. That the season for them right now should be one of repentance, of coming back to God. And yet the people continue to ignore God's standards. They're oblivious to their calling. This is why the people have become so far from God. They're clinging to deceit. They're living their own way. They're ignoring God's word. But then we see another insight and and maybe the root of the problem in the next few verses. Verses 8 through 12. I think I'll just read the first two. How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? But behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. The wise men shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is in them? You see, they say that we are wise because 
The law of the Lord is with us. We have the scrolls. We have the word of the Lord. And apparently what is happening is the same thing that we've seen already. Jeremiah 3, the people thought that because they had the Ark of the Covenant that they'd be good. Jeremiah 7, they thought because God's temple resided on their land that they'd be fine. And here, Jeremiah 8, they thought that because they were the possessors of God's word, that God again would turn a blind eye. What we find out in the next few verses is that they're again wrong. They have rejected the word of the Lord. If they're rejecting the word of the Lord, even if it's in their possession, they cannot have the wisdom that they claim to have. You see, their future wasn't dependent on the mere possession of the law. It was dependent on their response to the law. How they responded and and lived according to the law. And we see the significance of the second portion of verse 8. But behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into the lie. Now, we're most familiar with the scribes in the post-exilic period. We see them show up in the New Testament as Jesus interacts with the scribes and the Pharisees. And they were prominent uh, copiers of manuscripts. But one of the things that that may be more significant uh, about their role was they were charged with explaining and interpreting this law that they were copying Principally, it would have been the law of Moses, the regulations surrounding that. And what we find when, when God says the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie, they're taking the law and they're twisting it. They're contorting it. They're in error in their teaching and their interpretation. They're neglecting their primary responsibility. And so since they have rejected the law, the word of the Lord, again, they have no wisdom. And so this, again, is why God's judgment is coming. In the next few verses here, 10 through 12, I won't read them all, but basically it's a recapitulation of the curse that God pronounced on them in Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 13 through 15, almost word for word. He says, the wise men... Probably talking about the scribes there. They're going to be put to shame. They're going to be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. From the least to the greatest, everyone, everyone now, not just the scribes, and that's not the teachers and leaders of the people, but everyone from the least to the greatest is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. These people are in trouble and they don't know it. The leaders, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. You see, the wise are saying, oh, don't worry about your sin. It's no big deal. Don't worry. We're we're good. Everything's good. We're gaining. We're okay." Except that the people were in grave danger of the judgment of the Lord because they have rejected the word of the Lord. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not even know how to blush. So therefore, they shall fall among the fallen. When I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. And we know this is what comes true in the history of God's people. That's my teaching this morning, our text. We come to the end. Don't twist God's word. 
It's serious business. You do so at your own peril. And we have the example of God's people, Jeremiah's time, God's bringing judgment, destruction, and captivity because they did not take the word of the Lord seriously. So what I hope to do with the rest of our time this morning is to consider how we can avoid similar severe consequences that come when the Word of God is twisted. I want to point out how I believe we can avoid making some of these same mistakes because no doubt it doesn't take long to find parallels between the time of Jeremiah and God's people and today in our culture and society. Just like the people in Jeremiah 8, there are many who have rejected or abandoned God, even though He has plainly revealed Himself, and they should know better. Just like the people described in Jeremiah chapter 8, there are many false teachers, even within the church today, leading the people astray. Just like the people in Jeremiah chapter 8, many are happily going along as if they are not living in opposition to God. And as long as they have immediate prosperity, as long as their little circle bubble of their life isn't affected, then they continue to say, peace, peace. But God says there is no peace. There are many in today's world, just like Jeremiah chapter 8, who ignore God's word to their own peril. Here at the chapel, we need to be careful that we are not lulled into thinking that we cannot be led astray or that we have all the knowledge we need or that we couldn't possibly be wrong because we have Bibles in our pews and in our phones and in our offices and homes. Just because we possess the Word of God doesn't necessarily mean that we don't have to be proactive in our approach to rightly handle God's Word. And so in just a moment, I want to remind us about what's at stake when it comes to getting God's Word right. What does it matter? Number one, our souls are at stake. And sometimes I want to gloss over this because I'm like, yeah, eternity, I know that, yada, yada, yada. But what about now? How does it apply to now? That's foolishness. We're talking about our eternal souls, you and me, the people around us, they're on the line. Eternal souls of people are at stake based on how we read, interpret, and apply God's Word. If we twist God's Word We're in danger of eternity separated from God. We also risk our understanding of who God is. If we twist God's word, we're in danger of making God into who we want him to be instead of who he actually is. And hopefully you realize why that's important, that we are worshiping God for who he is, not who we think or want him to be. We don't get to do that because we are not God. And lastly, we risk our calling. If we twist God's word, we're in danger of missing out on the life that God has called us to live. And so just with these three, I'm sure there's more things in mind. Knowing what's at stake, it should drive us to pursue truth relentlessly. To stand guard against error. We reject false teachers. We reject false teachings. 
So how then? How then do we avoid twisting God's word and going down a path that maybe we never even intended to go down? So I want to offer us three simple steps that I hope will serve as a reminder for many and encouragement to you as we seek to do just that. Be proactive in handling the word of God properly. Correctly, We could spend time talking and naming and blaming false teachers and bad churches and this and that, but that's not profitable for us this morning. I think we can be proactive in keeping the Word of God pure and central to who we are as a people. So how do we do it? Three steps. Number one, we must receive the Word of God. I chose this word receive for a reason. We must remember that the Bible is not just another book. It is the very Word of God. It has been given to us as a gift by Him. It is inspired and errant. It's the only source of truth. So we need to approach it with a receptive heart, saying, God, what do you have for me? So this will happen in two primary ways. We receive the word as we read and as we hear. So we receive the word as we read. Now, this implies that we are actually reading God's word. And I don't want to assume, I'm glad you're in a Bible teaching church this morning. But if you go on and look at national statistics, many people who claim to be Christians also do not read their Bibles. We must read the Word. And I would say we must read the Word often. I'll show you a few scriptures on the screen. Maybe you have it in front of you. I'll just highlight a couple of things from the Psalms. His delight is in the Lord, and on His law He meditates day and night. Again, the psalmist says, I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. We look at the historical man of Joshua. His success was directly tied to his ability to know and live out the law of the Lord. He is commanded to meditate on it day and night. We ought to be in the habit of Bible reading. And so if you're scrolling through on that Version app, if you're part of the hub, we'll put it out this week. Get in the habit of doing a plan. There's a thousand different Bible plans out there. We produce one here at the chapel every year to say, hey, if you need a plan, if you want to be on board with some people, then read the Bible every day. So we receive the word often, but we also store it in our heart. We read this, I think, earlier. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, listen, if you know me, this is a struggle. Scripture memorization. And I think a lot of us, we relegate that to the Iwana ministry or something that, I don't know, other people do, but not me. It's hard for me, but we should also understand why we should do it. This is not just a chore. This is not just a check mark. If we would memorize Scripture, what we're doing is we're filling our minds with God's wisdom, not ours. It helps us focus on the things that Paul calls us to, those things that are excellent and praiseworthy, namely God's Word. It helps us handle the ups and downs of life. So as you deal with life, you have an instinctual response to go to the Word because you have it stored up in your heart. You are ready to give an answer to someone who has a question or asks about the hope that is in you because you have stored the Word of God in your heart. 
We receive the word as we read it often, as we store it in our heart. And we also need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. We pray. Because this is a supernatural book, we must rely on supernatural insight. You know, Paul prays for the believers and at the church of Ephesus. His prayer is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, which are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We need to rely on the Spirit as we read the Word so we might receive the Word of God. So we receive the Word of God as we read, but we also receive the Word of God as we hear. Romans ten seventeen clearest place. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. This is why the preaching of the Word takes the primary place in our services each Sunday. Jesus came preaching. Jesus sent out His disciples preaching. We are commanded to preach the Gospel in church on Sunday, but also by virtue of the things we say and the way we live our lives every day. Speed of preaching... Spurgeon says, I do not look for any other means of converting men beyond the simple preaching of the gospel and opening of men's ears to hear it. The moment the church of God shall despise the pulpit, God will despise her. It has been through the ministry that the Lord has always been pleased to revive and bless his churches. I hope that you have come here today not to hear a man, but to hear the word of God. Paul encourages Timothy in this same vein. He says, until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Can I tell you that there's ways that you can prepare to hear from the word of the Lord today? That you can prepare yourself before you even walk into this place to hear a sermon? So that's another resource that I've put in that Bible app. We'll put it out on the hub this week. Uh, Tom Rayner writes seven, seven ways you can prepare yourself to hear for a sermon. So we're going to keep moving there. But if we're going to receive the word, we need to be ready not only to read it, but to hear it. But it also goes beyond preaching. This is why we encourage you to get involved in groups that puts you in a position of hearing God's Word. So whether that be a Sunday school class, a Bible study, a home group, find a place where you are hearing the Word of God. I think this has special significance if you're a parent, because you should be looking to create habits in these two areas as well. Incorporate scripture reading, incorporate devotions at home, but then also participate in things like Sunday school and our Awana program where you're providing opportunities and habits that, that put your kids under faithful teaching of God's Word. These are not just babysitting venues for your children while you get to do the Christian thing. These are huge places for our children where we can be intentional about putting them in a position to hear and learn God's Word. But receiving the Word of God is not the end. It's only the first step. We commit to receiving the Word of God, but we also then must discern the Word of God. 
Peter writes this in 2 Peter 3. He's talking about Paul and Paul's letters. And he equates them as scripture, which is a big deal. But this is what he says in the middle of verse 16. Talking about Paul's letters to the churches. He's like, listen, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. Sound familiar? As they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care. Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Peter understands that the first time you read a text, the first time you come and approach the word, you may not get it all. There's some things that can be difficult. But we also know from the study of God's word and how it self-attests is that we affirm that God's word is understandable. I think Wayne Grudem is helpful here. He says, listen, Scripture affirms that it is able to be understood, that we can understand it, but not all at once, not without effort, not without ordinary means like preaching, not without the reader's willingness to obey it, not without the help of the Holy Spirit, not without human misunderstanding, And never completely. But it is understandable. But it's our job and responsibility to learn how to discern, to understand the Word of God. This again is going to happen in two primary ways. We must discern the Word of God as we read. We want to approach the Scriptures like the Bereans in Acts 17. They receive the word, but then they examine the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. In this case, it was about whether or not Jesus is the true Messiah. In Hebrews, we get another example where the author of Hebrews is is saying, listen, Christians, you've been Christians for a while, except you're still getting the small little baby food. You're still drinking the milk of the scriptures, but this time you should be eating meat. You should be growing. You should be learning and studying. By now you should be teachers. That's what he means by, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment. They don't just come overnight trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. If you want to know the Word of God, if you want to protect yourself from twisting the Word of God, you are going to need to practice the art of discernment in order to distinguish good from evil. And that gives us to this idea or this topic of, well, then how do I study Scripture? How do I develop this thing of discernment? How do I go about it? We could spend the next month talking about that. How do you study the Bible? There are principles that are tied, inherently tied, to rightly interpreting the Scriptures. Whole books, whole seminary courses focus around this topic. The big fancy word is hermeneutics. The study of interpreting Scripture. How we study the Bible matters. One example. The book of Leviticus says men shouldn't shave their temples or trim their beards. But we're like, no, that doesn't apply. Why not? Leviticus says you shouldn't eat shrimp. I like shrimp. Leviticus says you you shouldn't eat pork. I really like ribs. But why am I choosing not to obey God's law? Am I in danger of, have I twisted God's word? And we have to be careful because if we say, well, I'm a New Testament believer. Okay, great. So then also, we don't have to follow laws about polygamy or homosexuality because those are Leviticus. 
So we can just throw those out too. How do we discern? And that is accurate. We can't say we don't eat shrimp from Leviticus and then also say we also can't have multiple wives because of Leviticus. How are we going to determine? It all has to do with how we interpret and approach Scripture. How we understand the flow of Scripture from beginning to end. We study. We discern. How we approach the text matters. The most familiar illustration of of this idea of context mattering, how we approach the Bible mattering, happens as the story is told of the guy who regular practice his morning devotional time when he wants to receive the word. He says, you know what? I'm just going to let God choose a passage. So he bops down and he says, oh, my verse for today. Here it is. Um, And Judas went out and hanged himself. Oh, man, that can't be right. I need a new word, Lord. Let me flip over here. Go thou and do likewise. Oh, man. Okay, maybe I need to pray about this a little harder. So I close my eyes. Dear Lord, show me a better verse today. Okay, here we go. Boom. Verse, what thou doest, do quickly. Come on. This is not how we approach the word. All right, my wife got sent this this uh, nice calendar picture. It sounds great. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Great, just worship, and I, everything is mine. Well, that sounds inspirational until you know who said it. Do you know who said that? Satan did. Context may determine if you're listening to the Lord or to the devil. These things matter. How we interpret and apply and approach the scriptures really matter. There are issues that come into play when studying the Bible that we're not going to get into. Issues of genre, structure, original wording, translation, how it's composed, grammar, understanding, key concepts. Again, context, context, and more context. Understanding where it fits into the whole storyline of the Bible. When we do that work, and yes, it is work. No one said that you wouldn't have to work. But as you work, then we start to determine the meaning then we can say, yes, I am confident that I am dividing the Word of God rightly. I'm not in danger of twisting the Word. And here's the other good news. You haven't been left to do this on your own. No one expects you to live by yourself, reading the Bible, writing your own systematic theologies. Listen, we have more resources than ever. There are all kinds of books and resources and study guides. This is also why we encourage you to, again, be part of a group. Join a Sunday school class. Join a home group. Be part of a Bible study. Why? Because you don't know everything. And sometimes it's helpful to be in a circle around some people and hear their insights as they've been studying the Word. We can learn from others. You read something and Peter says you don't understand it. Great. That's an opportunity to learn. So ask. Ask questions. Ask questions so you learn. So we use discernment as we read, and again, we discern the word as we hear. You have to trust me as I fly through these. I don't, I don't read these. Jesus warns of false teachers. Paul repeatedly warns of false teachers. This passage, they're gathering around a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Peter warns, there will be false teachers among you. The message is, be alert. Be aware. First Thessalonians, Paul says, Do not despise prophecies, but test 
everything. Hold fast to what is good. And what this tells us, Scripture is clear that teachers, like me in this moment, are held to a higher standard as I teach. And that's a big deal. But I also believe you're held accountable for the things that you hear. And how you rightly discern the things that you hear. And even, I would say, you will be held to a greater account than the people of Jeremiah's day. Because where the, to a certain degree, the people were reliant on the scribes for the law. You have the law. You have the law in front of you. You don't have a Bible? Take one in the pew. I won't tell anyone. Take it. You can have it. We've got boxes of them. You download it on your phone. You have, I have multiple copies. I'll give you mine. I can get more. We have so much access. We are without excuse to know the Word of God. We have every imaginable resource at our fingertips to know, to learn, to study the Word. And so as we listen, as we hear from the Lord, we need to use discernment. The authority that I speak with in this moment does not come from me or even our church. It only comes insofar as much I rightly teach the Word of God. The authority of God's Word comes from God's Word. If I err from God's Word, I have no authority. You are a vehicle to help keep me in check. I'm 35. I definitely don't know everything. I study, I'm learning, I'm growing. Some of you have been studying much longer than me. Let's help each other grow. Be a part of that process. As you listen, are they staying true to the text? Are they conveying the meaning of the word? Do they craft their messages to please people or to draw crowds? Or are they pointing people to Jesus? At the chapel, everyone here is held first accountable to God and His Word. This is also why we have elders, and this is also where you come in, especially as members. It's important. When you hear something off, you have a question, bring it up. You will either be preventing people from being deceived, which you should do, or you have an opportunity to learn and grow through the questions that you're asking. So we need to discern through the things we read and through the things we hear. But that's just step two. We're almost done. Jesus throws this warning in a series of warnings to the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus isn't saying you can just get rid of this and just do this instead because you like it better. He's saying, no, you need to do all of it. And all of the Word isn't just receiving the Word, isn't just rightly understanding and discerning the Word. It's also applying the Word of God. This is what Paul tells us about the Word of God. Is that it should be transforming every part of our lives. As we read and study, we are transformed. This is why Paul says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? For teaching, but more. For reproof and more. For correction and more. For training in righteousness and more. That the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. The Word of God, the study and learning and receiving of the Word of God should result in application, should result in life transformation. 
James puts it simply this way, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Christianity is a call to action, not just to study. As we read and study God's word, we must begin to apply it in our own lives. So we apply the word as we read and study, but we also apply the word as we influence others. Matthew 18, Jesus says, You have a job, Christian. Go make disciples. We have an assignment to make disciples. That cannot happen with you by yourself with your Bible. As good as that is, there's work to be done. Colossians 3, Paul points to what the Word should produce in us. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Just like we are accountable as we hear the word, we're accountable to one another that we should be applying and growing and encouraging one another as we apply God's word. You have a role to play in the spiritual lives of those around you right here in this room. And again, if you are a parent, this is an especially relevant command. You have been gifted children by God. You are responsible to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This truth goes all the way back to the days of Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 6. That what are you supposed to do, parents, with the law? To teach them diligently. Well, when should I teach them? On Sunday mornings when I go to the synagogue? Nope, every day. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Whether you're a parent or not a parent, as Christians, we have the opportunity and I would say obligation to influence those around us as the word of God is transforming us from the inside out. Don't stop at just receiving and studying scripture. Use your influence. I think we should have a special concern for the next generation of children coming up within the church. We should also have a special concern for those new believers who need some extra guidance and care. And especially if you are one who has learned, who has studied and received the word, look for ways to use your influence. Teach a Sunday school class. Lead a home group. Guess what? You can't just sign up. You have to come talk to us. Because again, we just don't let anybody teach stuff. We think the Word of God matters. So come talk to us about becoming a Sunday school teacher, a home group leader. Reach out to someone. Invite someone to, to dinner just to care and ask how they're doing. These are ways that you can use your influence as a Christian. Someone who is being shaped and formed by the Word of God ought to be sharing that with other believers. You heard Harley say, and I'll reinforce it. We need 30 volunteers to make a want to happen. This fall, in like a month. You know what the primary qualification is? They know Jesus. That you're willing to use your influence to impact the next generation for Christ. What's so important about Awana, special about Awana? Well, nothing really. Except that that's what our church has said. Hey, this program is focused on the Word of God. 
This is how we're, uh, we're using this program. It could be any program, but we've chosen this program to help shape the next generation of children in the church. And we need you to invest, to use your influence to accomplish our mission of making disciples, to lead the next generation in what it looks like to follow Christ. We need you, people who know and love Jesus, to come alongside our children and point them to hopefully the glorious truths that you know and understand about Jesus. Whether you're a parent of a child or not, you have an incredible opportunity to influence our kids through Christ and ultimately change, influence, affect the whole world. Emily Reese grew up in this church. Where is she at right now? France. Other homegrown missionaries going out from this place. I dare say that doesn't happen if she doesn't have people coming alongside her along the way, encouraging her, teaching her, showing her, loving her, pointing her towards Jesus, and the need for people to, to hear this gospel that we're talking about. We're out of time, but this is not the end. This is not a linear progression. Step one, receive the word. Step two, discern the word. Step three, apply the word. Step four, arrive. Nope, sorry, it doesn't work that way. You've been a Christian for about two seconds. You understand you're not getting to arrive until you're with Jesus. It's not a linear progression. It is a sanctification towards God and Christ. We should look at it more as a cycle. I receive the Word. I study and learn that portion of Word. I learn to apply and work on applying that word, and then I realize, oh man, I got a lot more to learn. I got a lot more to grow. I better go back to the well. Let me go back to the word. Let me receive some more. Oh, I'm not sure about that. Let me study. Let me ask questions. Let me learn. Okay, I think I understand that. Let me start doing that, applying that. Oh man, I just found out I don't know this anyway. Let me receive, right? It goes on and on. It's a repetitive cycle. But listen, this is where joy is found. This is where fulfillment is found. This is where purpose is found. There's no better place to be than in this cycle centered around God's Word. And if you're wondering where Jesus is in all of this, here's your answer. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Flip those around. It's a cycle. Verse 14. And the Word that we're talking about this morning here, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What is this Word? The Word became flesh in the person of Christ. God incarnate, Word incarnate, Jesus Christ. Why does that matter? Here's why. Because we're not just talking again about words on a piece of paper. It means that if Jesus is the Word, that when we receive the Word, it's like we're meeting with Christ. When we study and discern the Word, it's as if we are, well, it is, we are learning more of Christ. And as we apply the Word, we are becoming more like Christ. This is what it is for the life of a believer to become more like Christ. Last verse, Paul puts it this way. And we all, 
with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, the author of the Word, God incarnate, Jesus Christ. We cannot claim to be Christians. We cannot claim to be followers of Jesus if we are not grounded, rooted, receiving, discerning, and applying God's Word. This is the key to a relationship with Jesus. Will you pray with me? There's no way, Lord, that we could cover all there is to cover about who you are in your word. We've just scratched the surface. But I pray that that is something that causes us to desire you even more. That we will go home, that we will invest in a Bible study plan, that we will get in a group where we can hear, receive, study, grow together with other believers. That we wouldn't stop at just receiving or stuttering the word, but we would find ways to apply that word as our lives are changed, as our decision making is changed, as our finances and our time is altered because of who we know you are through your word. That we would use our knowledge to influence those around us so that they might know you, so that they might experience your joy, so that we may be conformed to your image. Lord, help us receive, study, and apply your word so that we would be hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray these things in your name. Amen.